Well, how many of you know that tonight is a great night? It's a great night, right? It's a great night for obvious reasons. Listen, we are taking the time to reflect on the gift that keeps giving. You know, and I know that we all look forward to presents, right? Many of you are looking forward to presents, but how many of you know the presents you get don't remain present, right? They grow old. But there's a gift that doesn't grow old. It's the message of Jesus Christ and the life that he affords us. Amen? Amen. And so, hey, we've been in a series the last couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to have some fun with that tonight. We've been in a series called Don't Be a Grinch. That's why everything is kind of like grinched out, right? But what we've been doing is looking at some parallels between the Grinch and people in the Bible. People in the Bible that were missing out on what this gift was in this Savior that came into the world. And so, you know the story. Many of you know it. The Grinch, this grouchy guy, right? Solitary character. Lived alone in a cave in a place called Mount Crumpet. And what's interesting is that right by him was a town called Whoville. And there were people there called the Who's, and he hated the Who's. More specifically, he didn't just hate the Who's. He hated their joy. He hated their cheer. He hated their goodwill towards each other. He hated their willingness to give freely to one another and receive from one another. And so he decides to cancel Christmas. But what's interesting is that at the end of the story of the Grinch, he comes to this point of enlightenment. He sees something he's never seen before. He realizes that the source of the whose joy was not the celebration of Christmas, but that it was about something so much more. It was about what Christmas meant and did among them. It was something so much more. You know, the Grinch could not see what they saw until he dared to step out of his deep, dark, lonely cave. It wasn't until he came out among them that he realized that Christmas was something greater. And friends, I dare say that there are some today that while we live in this world, we live from caves. We live in the darkness. And today, I want to talk to you directly from the heart of God. I'm not here to give you an opinion. I want to point you to the scriptures, and I want us to look at this story of Christ in Christmas and see that it actually is a light. And therefore, tonight I want to talk to you on the topic, the light of life. The light of life. Like the Grinch, we cannot see until we step out of our element, listen closely, into God's element. It's one thing to hear about God. It's one thing to hear about Christ. But unless we step out of our understanding, our experience, unless we step out of what we think we know about God or what we don't want to know about God, unless we step out of that element, friends, we'll never understand Christ. How many of you know that if you're going to be in relationship with someone, right, if you're going to relate to anyone, have any sort of connection to someone, you have to step into their world? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't it more so true? that we have to step into the element of the truth of God and his word, that we have to see what God says about us, and we have to look to understand from his perspective if we are to truly receive this great gift. And so in the days of the birth of Jesus, uh, there was a lot going on in Israel. And the truth is that many were distraught. The world was broken, not much unlike the world we live in today. 
and they couldn't see the light of Christ. They couldn't understand who this Savior was. They couldn't uh, receive this message of hope. And there was a reason. It reminds me of a story I once read called Plato's Allegory. And I want you to step into this story with me for a moment, and I want you to imagine a cave. I want you to imagine a cave, but not just any cave. It's a dark cave. It's a deep cave. And in this cave, there are three prisoners, and these prisoners are tied to some rocks. Their arms and legs are bound, and their heads are tied so that they cannot look at anything but the stone wall that's in front of them. And these prisoners have been there since birth. They've never seen outside of the cave. And behind these prisoners, behind them is a fire. One that only keeps them warm, but one that casts shadows. That gives them some sense of warmth and light. And so between them and this cave, right? Between this cave and people out there, there was this raised walkway. And so people outside... The cave would walk along this walkway, carrying on their heads, you know, their, in their arms, whatever, the things that they, were, uh, that they, that they possessed. So they, had, they were carrying animals, plants, and wood, and stone, et cetera, et cetera. And so imagine that you're in this cave with one of these prisoners, and you yourself cannot look at anything behind or to the side of you. In fact, you must only look at the wall in front of you. And as people walk along the walkway, you see the shadows of the objects that they are casting onto this wall that's in front of you, the only thing you can see. And if you had never seen the real objects ever before, you actually get to a place where you believe that the shadows are real, that that's reality. And so on a daily basis, the way the story goes, these prisoners would play a game, a guessing game, which shadow would appear next. If one of the prisoners were to correctly guess, the others would praise him as clever and declare that he was the winner and master of all nature and life for that day. So one day, one of the prisoners breaks free. He breaks free, he escapes from his bindings, and he leaves the cave. And he's shocked at the world he discovers outside the cave. He doesn't believe that it can be real. He believes that, 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 this, that this is not reality. Something is wrong. But as he acclimates to life outside the cave, a new world begins to arise in his understanding. He becomes accustomed to his new surroundings and he realizes that his former view of reality was wrong. That life in the cave, life in the darkness, life according to the shadows was wrong, that it wasn't real. And so he sees that this, his former life has no meaning, that there's something more. And he begins to journey further out, further from the cave, and he begins to discover all this beauty and this meaning. And he realizes that the guessing game in the cave, in the dark, was useless. Friend, the way the story goes, the prisoner returns to the cave. And out of the good nature of his heart, he strives to inform the other prisoners that he had left behind in this cave. He strives to 
inform them, to convince them of his findings outside the cave. But you know what's sad about this story, this allegory, is that these prisoners, not only did they not believe him, they threatened to kill him if he tried to set them free. Can I propose something to you, friends? We're not meant to live in the dark. We're not meant to live in our caves. We're not. See, the Christmas story, the best rendition of the story of Christ in Christmas is found in the book of John. This is my humble opinion. And I know for some of you Bible theologians, you're going, wait, the book of John doesn't say anything about the birth of Christ. And I would say to you that it actually encapsulizes the story of Christ's entrance into this world the best. Let me read it to you. In, in John chapter 1, starting at verse 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Listen to verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, at surface level, that doesn't sound like much. We don't really relate to it, some of us. I want to read it to you. I don't have time to break this down, you know, the way I usually would. I just want to read it to you according to what the Greek actually says, because it says this, but it says so much more. In the Greek, here's how it says it. It says, in him was the fullness of life that activates continuous blessing, and this fullness of life is the lamp which brings illumination to all mankind. This light appears in our ignorance of God to bring all things to light and to cause us to grow. Listen closely, friend. And the ignorance of our understanding cannot extinguish the truth of God's light. Listen closely, friend. What's life like in the dark for you? Let me bring that a little bit closer to home. What does life look like without this light? How's life doing it on your own? Struggling on your own? Striving for answers on your own? Trying to find your way in life on your own? I submit to you that it's like living in a cave. And the thing about it is that we're bound, not because we're tied to something, it's because we've tied ourselves to dark places. My friend, in the day of Christ when he was born, the world was no different than it is today. Not only was it a dark night, it was a dark world. It was difficult times, but the scriptures say that there was an announcement an announcement of Christ as Savior, and that when this announcement was made, that the heavens were brightly lit as the angels boldly declare in harmony, glory to God in the highest and peace unto all men. Now my question is, why didn't all people see it? I want you to think about this. The scripture says that the lights in heaven came on. It was the same sky that everyone had the opportunity to see, and yet some missed it. 
Some missed it. Some missed it. Let me show you why the coming of Christ was missed by many. I'll tell you, it was because it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what people wanted. The truth is this, that oftentimes, and I'm, look, I've been there, I've done it, sometimes I still do it. We turn to God for need. We turn to God for wants. And we miss who he is as a person. How many of you want to be in a relationship with someone that all they do is ask of you? I bet you you'd feel used. And so Isaiah 53, starting at verse 1, says, Who has believed, who has confidently trusted in, relied on, and adhered to our message of salvation? And to whom, if not us, has the arm and infinite power of the Lord been revealed? It goes on to say in verse 2, For he, the servant of God, grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he has no stately form or majestic splendor that we would look at him, nor handsome appearance that we would be attracted to him. Verse 3 goes on to say, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and pain, acquainted with grief, and like one from whom uh, men hide their faces, he was despised and we did not appreciate his worth or esteem him. The scripture is declaring, mind you, this was a prophecy of the prophet Isaiah. They've actually found the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is actually documented. This is real. This was written 800 years before Jesus was even born. And here's what it stated 800 years before Jesus even born. He would enter the world and people would go, He's no big deal. There's nothing appealing about him. There's nothing attractive about him. There's nothing that would cause me or, or, or incite me to want to follow him, to see anything good. And friends, the question is, why? Why? In John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 9, it says that he came, this light came, and that the world did not recognize it and it wasn't because he wasn't divine it wasn't because he wasn't a savior friend according to John's account what we see is that people were more concerned they wanted to stay in the cave let me put it to you this way they wanted to stick to their own understanding you know what light does light invites us to see. It opens the opportunity for us to see where we haven't been able to. And friend, I would just say this to you, whether you're here or you're online, that Christ came to bring light. And oftentimes, we take it like roaches. Oh, you didn't grow up where I grew up. Whenever you walked into the house, or not even a house, an apartment, you turned on the light, roaches everywhere, and they scattered. Sometimes we approach the light of Christ that way. We approach the truth that the scriptures give us that way. We cut tail and we run like we're caught. And friends, the only reason that Jesus came to bring light 
was to love you. Was to love us. It wasn't to turn on the lights so we can hightail it. It was to turn on the lights so we could see. So we could see. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to propose to you just a couple of things that you might want, that you and I should consider and we should endeavor to apply. Because how many of you know it's no good to have light if you're not going to do anything in the light, right? It should open up new opportunities. And so I want to talk to you for a little bit, and I want to start off by sharing with you that we cannot hope to see light in this world if we do not let it first shine in our hearts. Let me say that again. You and I cannot hope to see light in this world. How many of you would agree, we're in some dark times, right? And more often than not, what we do is we complain about these dark times. We complain about what's going on. We complain about how it might affect us. We complain about all these injustices. We, we complain about all these things. But friends, how many of you know that the light isn't for us to complain? The light is to enlighten us first. See, before we can desire change outside, we have to allow Christ to change us within. Amen. Amen. And so at the birth of Christ, there were many that saw this same star, this same appearance that shone brightly that announced the entrance of the Savior. But not everyone saw the same. And I would propose to you that there's a reason amongst many as to why not many saw the same. It was because not many were seeking a Savior. Not many were seeking the help of God. Not many wanted God. And I would just say this to you. If you're going to seek help, would you go to someone that can help you or can't help you? Logically, we would all say, I'd go to someone who can help me. Friend, there's only one that can help you every time, all the time, no matter what comes your way. That is Christ Jesus. That is God himself. Why not turn to God? Why not live in the light? It reminds me of a story of a, I think I've shared it here. I'm sure I have at some point over the years. Story of a guy who's in the middle of an ocean. Don't ask me why, but this guy was in the ocean and he's drowning. He can't swim. Why he would go in the middle of the ocean, I don't know. Maybe he didn't, the lights weren't on, right? But he's in the middle of the ocean and he's drowning. And, and all of a sudden, out of sheer desperation, he cries out and he says, God, save me. God, help me. And all of a sudden, no, no sooner has he finished this, this cry to God, a helicopter shows up. The lights come on, they drop ladders, divers jump in, and they all go to grab him, and they're trying to grab him, and he begins to fight them all off. Let me go, leave me alone, let me go, I'm waiting for God. So they leave him. A couple of seconds later, he's crying out to God in desperation, God, save me, God, save me. And all of a sudden, a guy on a rowboat comes by, and the guy's rowing by, and he throws him a boy. He says, grab on, I'll, I'll pull you in, I got you. He goes, no, no, leave me alone, leave me alone. I'm waiting for God. And so the guy continues rowing. Not out of coincidence, but right at that very moment, he's, as he's in desperation, and he's gasping for his last breath of air before he actually begins to drown, 
someone happens to be swimming by. And this person swims by and takes note of him and swims towards him quickly and grabs him, grabs a hold of him, and he says, I got you, I'll save you. He goes, no, leave me alone, leave me alone. I'm ready for God. The guy leaves, and you know the rest of the story. He drowns. Then he finds himself before God, and he says, God, I was dying. I was gasping for breath. I was longing for life. I was seeking help. Why would you let me die? He says to him, what do you think the helicopter was for? Son, what do you think the person in the rowboat was for? Friend, why do you think you're here? Why do you think the light is coming on even at this moment? See, one of the most saddest things we could ever do is to look for help, to look for salvation. Let me put it that way but not want the savior of the salvation. See, God's heart is not to hurt you. God's heart is to help us. It's to save us. The scripture says this. I love the way John 3.16 summarizes the entrance of Christ into this world. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave him to this world to become a man and dwell among us like a man, to undergo the very things that we undergo, to be tempted the way we've been tempted, to walk through all those landmines of life and yet overcome. And then he paid a price for sin and then he rose again from the dead. Why would he do that? Because somebody had to pay for that sin. And if a man messed it up, then a man had to fix it and rise from it. He paved the way for new life. He turned on the lights, friend. Come on and give God some praise, man. See, at some point, we must all come to the revelation. The lights must come on. That what Christ came to do was to give us light. To help us. To save us. And I don't know your story. Maybe you might not know mine, but I will tell you this. Here's one thing that I know in common. God gave his best for people. God gave his best for you and me. You're that important. You matter that much. You matter that much. One of the things that gets in the way of receiving God's help, of embracing and opening our hearts to this light, is that we think we know, we think we see what we need. Right? We look to people, we look to possessions, we look to power, we look to our own purposes. And while we think we see, while we think we know, what we actually don't realize is that we're in the dark. That we don't see and we don't know. Luke eleven thirty five 35 says this, it says, Be careful, therefore, that the light that is in you is not darkness. In other words, be careful that what you think you know is the light apart from God. Be careful. Be careful that you don't just try to do life alone. Be careful that you don't buy into this lie that struggling and running this rat race and fighting every day and, and, and trying to figure it out and grinding it out. That Be careful that you don't buy the lie that that's light, that that's what life is all about. You know, oftentimes we say, oh, that's, that's just life. No, friend, that is not just life. 
Life is based upon what Christ provides us. Life is based upon what the light in, in, uh, enlightens us to. What the new possibilities it opens up for us, friends. And so it goes on to say, so if your whole body is illuminated. In Greek, here's what it's saying. If your whole life has the lights on. So if your whole body is illuminated with no dark part, it will be brightly, it will be entirely bright with light. As when the lamp gives you light with its bright rays. Friend, God wants us to realize this. All he wants to do is say, let me show you. Let me show you something different. Let me help you. Let me open up a new path for you. Let me, let me begin to show you doors that you didn't even know were there. Hey, if you think I'm lying about light and God wanting to help you, when you leave here, go home, turn off all the lights, turn off the Christmas tree, turn everything off, let it be pitch black, and run around the house and see how that works for you. It won't work, friends. What makes us think that life that way works? It doesn't. It doesn't. Which leads me to my second point. Only the wise go in search of the light. Let me say that again. Only the wise go in search of the light. I think by now we can all agree that it's pretty foolish to want to live in the dark. It's pretty foolish to live life with a darkened understanding. It's foolish. Why? Because we're prone to bump into things. We're prone to make mistakes. We're, we're prone to create wrecks in our life. You know, at the birth of Jesus, everyone was seeking something. The Israelites wanted freedom. Rome wanted more power. They wanted to conquer more. And then there were others that they were just seeking for their moment-to-moment -moment needs. They were just trying to make it minute by minute. And among those searching was another small band of people. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 puts it this way. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men. Wise men from the east. They came to Jerusalem, right? Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Listen to what the scripture is saying. It's saying that men came seeking Jesus, but why? The Bible says that these were wise men. They were from the east. They were from a foreign land. And the reason why the Bible calls them wise is not because of what they knew. It wasn't because of the prophecies that they knew of. It wasn't the signs that had been foretold from, from days of old that the Christ would be born and that this light would shine and it would be a sign unto all that the Savior of the world had come and that God was establishing peace with all men. It wasn't because they knew that. These men were called wise men because wise people seek God. Wise people seek God. Friend, if you've spent your life like I did for many years, just faking it to try and make it, 
It doesn't work, friend. I think we can all agree that we have, we're prone to mess things up more than we are to make them better. And so you see, these men were wise because they went in search of what the light revealed. See, it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to say, yeah, I believe in God pie in the sky. Let me ask you a question. Is it enough to know your, your spouse from a distance? Is it enough to relate to the people that you love from a distance? Is it good enough for you to know of someone, and you know what, to even declare, I love them, and I know them without relationship? It doesn't work, friend. And what I want us to consider is this, that the wise thing to do, what wisdom calls us to, is to do more than just know of Jesus, than know of God, than believe in a higher power. No, if all we do is believe that there's something out there, but we're not connected to him, then it's no knowledge at all, friend. It's foolishness. There's nothing wise about that. The scripture puts it this way. Those who ask, he says, ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Friend, whose door have you been knocking in all this time? What have you been seeking all this time, friend? I submit to you that even before you started searching for God, he's been searching for you. You're important. You matter. You are loved. And he came to turn on the lights so that you and I can discover a different life. A different life. The last point I want to leave you with here as we close is that all we need to know about being in the light is in being in the dark. Let me, let me say that again and then I want to dig into that. All we need to know about being in the light is in being in the dark. Let me tell you what I mean by that. How many of you know that if you want to know how light works, you got to turn it on? Right? You got to turn it on. Right? I mean, you actually have to turn on the light. And once you turn on the light, you turn it on for a reason. See, you turn on a light for the dark. You take light into dark places. Friends, Jesus came into this world to shine upon us. To turn on the light. But you see, once your light has been turned on, friend, I want you to see that wherever you go, you go from receiving light to being light. And in a dark world, in broken communities, in hurting homes, 
I mean, we live in a world today where we polarized ourselves based upon what media tells us. We look at each other based upon our color of our skin. When who we are is not this shell. There's more to us than what we see. There's more to life than the political issues, the racial issues, the socioeconomic issues. At the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, we are all a wick that God wants to light. And the reason why he brings this light to our life is so that we can be a light. So that we can bring light to dark places, friends. The scripture puts it this way in the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. I want you to consider who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to everyday, ordinary people. He was talking to people who had struggles. He was talking to people who were facing problems. He was talking to people who struggled with imperfections, had bad habits, were surrounded with wrong people. Many of them desired the dark instead of the light. And yet he declares this, you are light. You are light because I'm here, because I've come to bring you light. So he says, you are the light of the world. And he goes on to say, a town built on a hill, it cannot be hidden. He goes on to say, please, next. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. Listen to what Jesus is saying. I make you a light. But not just a light that you hide behind closed doors. No, I've made you a light to be put on a stand that all might see. You know, when you look at a candle that's lit, you're not looking at the candle. You're looking at the flame. Friend, God wants you to understand that he's called you to be a light, that he's made you a light so that people could see the one who's ignited you. And so he goes on to say, neither do people put a, a light a lamp and put it under a bow. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. Everyone in the house. Everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Listen, why? Not so that they be judged. Not so that they be indoctrinated to certain rules and certain things. No. So that they might see. They might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Friend, there's only one way, according to the scripture, that we cease to be a light. Actually, there's two ways. One, 
is if we never come into contact with the truth, with light. Two, it's if we allow something to smother it. You are the light of the world. Christ has come to be the light of your life. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.